Greetings to each one of you. It's so good to come live into your homes right now as we bring the Word of God to you. I'm so excited to see what the Lord is doing. And uh, when I see what the Lord has been doing in the past few months, like Pastor Victor shared and said, He's preparing us for something bigger. He's preparing us. The way He's connecting the messages, though it's coming from different preachers, we are finding how God is connecting the dots in order to minister to us as a congregation, preparing us for something bigger. And I'm sure this morning as I share the Word of God this also is connected to what God is doing overall in the church and for the church, preparing us for something bigger as we go along. But as we begin this word, I request you to bow your heads and seek the Lord and say, Lord, would you speak to my heart? Would you minister to me? Your word is powerful and I want to hear your word, Lord. Speak to my heart. Invite the Holy Spirit, no matter where you are. You may be alone. You may be with the others sitting with you. Would you invite the Holy Spirit to say, Come, Lord, speak to my heart. Bring alive the Word. May this Word transform the way I live for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and take control of this time, Lord. As we study your Word, may this Word come alive. May we experience the power of your hand, bringing this word alive and practical to us, Father. We thank you for this beautiful day once again. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen and amen. If you are a parent of a small child, you will get to watch a lot of animated movies. So this morning I'm going to start with a story from one of the animated movies called us the Planes. And now Planes is a movie for those of us who are not used to watching this animated in a long while. Here, planes are equivalent to people. Machines are equivalent to people. Forklifts and cars and planes and trucks and everything is equivalent to people. They speak, they interact with each other. And in this movie, Planes, there is the main protagonist who's, who's called as Dusty Crop Duster. And uh, there's also another person in this movie called as Dotty. And she's a forklift, and she repairs planes. She knows everything about planes. She designs planes. She fixes when they are broken down, etc. Now, this whole story is in the scene when this farm boy plane, Dusty, he wants to go and participate in a competition called as Wings Around the Globe. And this is a competition in which the best of the best planes are going to come to fly from one city to another, and they're going to go around the globe. Dusty, though he's a farm boy from a small town, he's not such a well-equipped engine, etc. He still is dreaming about participating in this wings around the globe. So while he's doing this, one of the days in a garage when he's talking to Dotty in the scene, Dotty begins to tell him, Dusty, stop dreaming. You are not designed for this. You don't have it in you. I know what the engine is like. You are not going to make it. And in fact, she goes on to say, you're going to die if you go like that. 
And here he is discouraged, thinking, I have this big dream of going, wings around the globe, participate and that, and win the prize. But Dottie is bringing him down to the reality of who he is. As he is doing this, you know, in any Hollywood movie, what happens? This same Dusty goes on to win the World uh, Cup, which is the Wings Around the Globe trophy. He goes on to win. I wish we all were part of that Hollywood movie. But unfortunately, in our real life, we are not like that. When the Dotties in our lives speak negative into us, we tend to give in to the discouragement and we tend to move away from our purposes. And that's the reality of life. We are not in the, in the Hollywood kind of a story where even though the hero is a very weak hero, he goes on to win and make everything happen. We are talking about in reality of our life. In a couple of years ago, I was asked to write an article, uh, rather a couple of devotion for this Christian management devotional. And one of the topics for one of the days that I wrote was titled as Discouragement, Common Cold of Our Soul. Discouragement, Common Cold of Our Soul. This is what I wrote in that. Discouragement, who doesn't face it? From the valiant warrior to an elegant artist, most influential global leader to a humble follower, from the powerful prophet to a prominent pastor, all face discouragement. Discouragement is a common cold in our well-being. Are you a Christian? Are you, as a Christian, insulated from discouragement? I wish the answer could be in the positive, but unfortunately, it is not. And I quote Billy Graham here, a start of quote, which says, The Christian life is not a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement. Billy Graham is talking about how Christian life, as portrayed by many people that you see on the stage, it appears as if they only have the highs in their life. But Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists to live and who reached millions of people. He says that's not true. There are times that we go through discouraging moments. That is why I've titled today's message as Dealing with Discouragement. Dealing with discouragement. This is based on the book of Haggai chapter 2 and Ezra chapter 3 to 5 and some portions of chapter 6. Just a quick recap as we continue the series on minor prophets from the book of Haggai. This is part 3. In part 1, we did holding on to the promises of God. In part 2, we looked at priorities and purpose. And in part three, today, we will be looking at dealing with discouragement. Now, you know the background from part two where I gave you how the exiles had come back to Judah. And they came back with one sole purpose to construct the temple. But when they came to construct the temple, something deviated them away from that purpose. And the last time we heard about Haggai, we learned it was wrong priorities that dealt them away from the purposes of God. Today, we are going to look at the second aspect that moved them away from the purposes of God, and that is discouragement. Discouragement. Let's look at, as we go into it, let's look at Ezra chapter 4, 
verse 1 to 4 as we look at different triggers. So today I'm going to look at four triggers for discouragement and four antidotes to overcome discouragement. Four triggers and four antidotes. I just don't want to leave you with a problem, but I also want to tell you how to deal with it. And I also want to tell you this, that I'm not dealing with everything that is to do with discouragement. From the passage, what is relevant, I have picked up. As we study the other books, we will look at other topics that can come up as part of discouragement. Maybe I will come back to this topic a little later, depending on the book we are going to study in the future. Let's jump right in to Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. It says, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, hear this, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, verse 2 says, they came to Zerubbabel unto the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Eshradon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Verse 3 says, But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King, of king Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. And verse 4, then the peoples around them set out to, set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. We find here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's talking about the enemies of Judah. And verse 2 onwards, we see how they came to help, saying, we also want to be part of the construction. We see Zerubbabel and Joshua have this discernment, and they say, no, we don't want you to play this part in us. And then what do they do in verse 4? They set out to discourage them, it says. You know, my friends, I want to bring two aspects here. One aspect is this. When Christ touches us and transforms our life, transforms our thinking, transforms our attitudes and our intentions. Very unknowingly, we tend to think that people around us also have got transformed. So our expectations from them is they'll align and adhere to what we are doing. But unfortunately, no. Even though it is God who called Judah to build the temple, they still had enemies living around them. And it's true with Christians. Even though God got you saved, you will still have people around you who hate you, who are jealous of you, who don't mean well for you, who have ill intentions for you, and who want to pull you down. And sometimes they can even appear like as if they're going to help you. Like the people here came and said, we want to help you build the temple. Thank God for Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people who had the discernment to say no. I want you to understand this point too, where we say that, you know, not all the people who come into your life to help you mean well for you. We need to be discerning with whom we partner. We need to be discerning with from whom we take help. We need to be discerning to understand what God has for us may not be in line with what people want to help us. The motive of these people was not a help, but to ensure that they pull down the plans of God to build the temple. 
I must confess here, I am not very good at that. I'm quite gullible in that sense of it, that I give in to anyone who comes wanting to help us. But thank God, he's got me married to Rupa, who has the gift of discernment. And she's able to sense what is happening in the other person. She's very intuitive. So we are able to complement one another in this aspect. So she will tell me, listen, you need to watch out. I think there's something not right about this guy, though he appears good on the outside. So I would take time to pray, and the Lord would minister to me, speak to me, and God will prove that very thing right. And then I will know it's not right that I have to partner with them. So know this, the first point that I've shared is there is animosity from the people. Animosity from the people around you. We now move to the point two, which talks about accusation from people. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 6 reads this. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem and the king are seated in... Jerusalem is very far from where the king is seated. Susa, the capital of Persia. It was several months of journey before someone can go there. But what did the enemies of Judah do? They wrote a letter. You can read that letter in, in chapter 4 of Ezra. They wrote a letter of accusation and they sent it all the way to the king just so that the temple of God construction can be stopped. We know that Satan is called as the accuser of brethren. And sometimes we imagine that Satan will come in person and he will accuse us. Not so. Satan uses people around us to accuse us. So when people are speaking ill against us, they are accusing us, Satan may be plotting to bring you down from your purposes. And what happens to most of us, we tend to learn to justify when somebody accuses us, we try to say, no, that's not me. That's not me. My intention was not that. And we go into all this justification day in and day out to such an extent you get wallowed up in this justification you forget the main purpose what are you doing day in and day out you're just taking the accusations in and you're trying to defend that so you lost the purpose you moved away from the purpose i give you a very simple simple antidote to that there is a big button in all of our lives it's got this letter i-g-n-o-r-e bold, underline, which says ignore. So when somebody says something about you which is not true, don't even go to justify. It's God who will justify for you. You press that ignore button, leave them alone. Satan has not changed from creation to now. He continues to accuse us. People around us will be used to continue to accuse you. Don't think just because you justify, people will change. They will continue to accuse you. All you can do is learn to ignore them. Second trigger was accusation from people. The third trigger is afraid of people. From Ezra chapter 4, verse, verse 4 and 5. Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Afraid of people. It says this, Then the peoples around them set out to discourage them, the people of Judah, and make them afraid to go on building. And verse 5 says this, 
they bribed the officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Can you imagine the persistency that these people had? They hired counselors, the Bible says in one version. They hired counselors to frustrate them, to make them afraid, to make them be filled with fear. Culture experts, you know, there are many culture experts who study cultures from different countries, different tribes, people groups, etc. I had the privilege of doing one of these courses on multiculture. And one of the things I learned there is, as they segment different countries and different people groups, they call them by certain terms. But for India, they say, India is a shame culture. What does shame culture mean? We do many things as a culture in order to prevent that shame in the eyes of the people. So many of the decisions we take, the money we spend, the parties we hold, the dresses we wear, or the cars we buy, everything is dependent on what will people think. What will people think? You heard of stories from some parts of the nation where people don't mind killing their daughter who wanted to elope with someone else who did not belong to their tribe. Why? Because they did not want their family name to be shamed. We live in a culture of shame, but this has crept into the church too. What happened? Why are we taking the decisions? We live in the fear of people rather than the fear of God. So when 10 people tell you not to do something, even though you're so convinced in your heart that God has called you to do it, you tend to give up because you think, what will people think? Fear of people. You know, we have a HTC in which you're taught about fear. You're led into ministry to overcome fear. You go to encounter, you're taught about fear. You go through KVL, you learn about fear and how to overcome that. You go to overcomers, you go to living free, you go to Utah, you go to Kersel. Adonai is full of teaching people how to overcome fear. But yet, we have believers within the church who make their decision based on what people will think. What people are doing. Fearing the people more than fearing God. I want to just give you a simple suggestion. Stop it. Stop trying to please the people. If you think your happiness is based on what people think about you, welcome. You are number one candidate for discouragement. You will give in. You will go into a rut because the truth is you can never, ever please all the people. And they gave in. As a result, the temple came to stand still. Trigger number four, ardent comparers. Ardent comparers. We go back to Ezra chapter 3 and we'll read verse 11 and 12. which says, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. Here was the foundation of the temple laid, and they were singing, He is good. His, his love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12, But, but, I've highlighted that, but, many of the older priests and the Levites and the families' heads who had been the in the seen the former temple 
wept aloud. In the midst of the rejoicing, here are people who are weeping aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Here, this is just a beginning. This is just the first step towards constructing the temple. They have not even seen the temple. In the midst of that rejoicing and praise, you have a people who negate that praise, who negate that, you know, joy that is there with the persistence of saying, oh, that poor old temple that was built by Solomon, that was a better one. You know, these are people whom I call us, but Earth, butters. They can give you a butt for everything. You gone and won the trophy. You're so excited. You never imagined you will win it. You come home with the trophy and you place it and they will say, wow, you won the trophy. Very good. But the last time you performed, it was better. Or you cook a beautiful dish, a lovely, sumptuous meal for everybody in the house and they enjoy the meal and then they will tell you, you know, the meal was very good, but the last time you made this dish, it tasted better. Or it's not like the one that we ate in the restaurant. Or it's not like the one if a man tells his wife, it's not like the one my mother cooks. All the best. That night you may sleep in the three-seater sofa. If you say that, because that's what we say, butters, butters, butters. You know, you may have done, you may have got a promotion, you may have run your best race, you may have performed and got good marks, you are excited. But here are people who will constantly try to tell you, but, and compare you with somebody else. I call these as ardent comparers because they're constantly comparing you on what you do with someone else. I've heard parents saying, this guy is good, but he's not like his brother. She is good, but she is not like her sister. Maybe you are a good wife, but you're not like your brother's wife. You are a good mother, but you're not like someone else. Constantly comparing. Believe me, even when we, you heard the announcement about Pastor Victor saying that we are going to move into a new building. We are going to move into a new era of our church. I am sure those of us who grew with Adonai, who saw this building being raised from a tin roof building to what it is today, you, when you go into the new building, you may have a tendency to say, this new church is good, but the old one was better. This new church is good, but it is too far from my home. This new church is good, but it is too big. This new church is good, but it has too many people. We can put a butt for everything. Ardent comparers. Antidote is just one thing. I'll come to it a little more. It's to compare yourselves to see what God has in store. What is the result of yielding to these discouraging triggers? We read that in Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to stand still until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Sad verse. 16 long years, the work of God, the purpose of God stopped and came to stand still because People yielded to the discouragement that came from people, for the accusation that came, for these comparers who compared them constantly, for the people's fear that they lived with being afraid of people. 
temple of God came to a standstill. My friends, as I share this word, I want us to understand that discouragement is a common thing. All of us will face it. Elijah, the great prophet who brought fire from heaven, faced it to the point of wanting to commit suicide. Jonah, who was the greatest of preachers with one preaching, he got the whole city saved. He went to the point of suicide. Abraham was discouraged. David was discouraged that he writes in Psalm 42. He, he encourages himself in the Lord and he says, Hope thou in the Lord. Paul went through discouragement. Peter went through discouragement. Jesus went through discouragement. It is but a common thing that all of us go through discouragement. I know like Pastor Victor shared, entertainment gospel. Today we have become as a church, when I say church, the body of Christ as a whole, the universal body has come so accustomed to this entertaining gospel. We forget the reality of where we live. We are not in the Hollywood movie and the protagonist where everything is hunky-dory. We live in a real life of people around us who will accuse us, who will make us afraid, who will compare us with others. This is going to be the new norm. But all I'm talking is not saying that if you will face discouragement, but when you face discouragement, how do you respond to it? And that's the whole message about. How do we respond to this discouragement? We will look at the antidotes, the four antidotes on how do we respond to these discouragement triggers. The first one is seek God and hear his promises. Now we move to Haggai. You know what the beauty is? When you read the book of Ezra, which gives you the background, there are these triggers of discouragement. And God, after 16 long years of standstill, raises up a Haggai who comes and gives them the antidotes to deal with the discouragement. And we are now going to be looking at those antidotes together. First antidote, seek God and hear his promises. Haggai chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, it says this, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people. Now I'm going to pause here for a while. I want you to turn to the person next to you. And repeat this verse, but now be strong and add the name of the person next to you. Now, I will say, but now be strong, John. Now be strong, Nimi. Now be strong, Sunil. Now be strong, Navneet. It's a reminder to tell ourselves, when Judah was feeling so weak, when Judah had moved away from their purposes, when Judah was surrounded by their enemies, when Judah was surrounded by people who had influence with the king, God is calling Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people to say, be strong. And that's a word for us, Adonai. That's a word for us to say as we go through this transition, as we look at moving into a new building, as we look at raising funds, as we look at meeting the needs, be strong, Adonai. Be strong. For God says, he goes on in verse, verse 5. He says in the same verse, declares the Lord. And I like that verse. And work for I am with you. There are two word command there. And work. What does it mean? It says, don't give up. 
don't give up and work. Why? Because I am with you. The people around in Judah, they felt the king is with them. Now God is saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. We'll read the next verse which says, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Can you imagine? People made them afraid. And God's promise comes. Be strong. Do not fear. Be strong. Do not fear. And then he goes on to say, Why? I am with you. And my spirit remains with you. Even as we embark on this journey to move to the next level as a ministry, what a comfort to know that God and His Spirit is with us. And we do not have to fear. Verse 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And verse 21 and 22 says, Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. What a verse. What a verse. When God says, he will shake the heavens and the earth once more. Verse 6, I like that. If you remember, Pastor Victor began the year by saying his heart's desire, heart cry was to say to the Lord, Lord, if you could do it then, do it again. Do it again. If you remember the prayer meeting we had as a church, he taught us to say, do it again. And now here's a promise to Adonai who desired and cried out in 21 days of fasting and praying, saying, Lord, do it again. This is the promise. And verse 6, he says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. He is saying, I will once again do it for you. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the dry land and the sea. I will shake the nations. Why? Because you have aligned your heart to my purposes. I will shake the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. What a word. What a word, my friend. You cried out saying, do it again. And the Lord is saying, once more, I will do it. I will do it. I will reveal myself to you. I like verse 8. I think people of Judah felt as if they don't have enough money. They don't have enough gold or silver to build the temple because they were constantly comparing it to the temple that had so much gold and silver when Solomon built. They have felt like, hey, we hardly have enough in this place. And God brings a promise saying, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. My friends, you know, when you think of it logically, you heard Pastor Victor's announcement. We have 3.5 crores against a requirement of more than about 9.5, 10 crores. Logically speaking, if you are a mathematician or if you know even a little math, you divide it among the number of people that we have and their earnings. Logically speaking, we will never ever be able to raise that money. But we, the people, don't go by logic. We go by faith and what the Word of God says. And this is the Word of God for Adonai. 
This is the word of God for us as a church. This is the word of God for you as a person who's struggling to make the ends meet. Maybe you lost your job and you're logically fighting it saying, how do I make the ends meet? God is reminding you. God is reminding us as a church saying, the silver is mine, gold is mine, declares the Lord, and I will provide much more than what you can ask or imagine. I am praying, when I read this verse, I got so excited for Adonai. I am praying that not only 9.5 or 10 crores, we will have excess. We will have so much excess. Like Pastor shared, we have to tell the people, stop, it's enough of your giving. And that we will take the excess and we will bless other church constructions and buildings. And that's the kind of blessing God is able to bring into our lives. Silver is mine. Gold is mine, says the Lord. And the second antidote is this. Surround yourself with godly people. Surround yourself with godly people. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it reads this, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the Lord God of Israel who was over them. And verse 2 says this, Then Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jozadak set to work set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. We'll come back to this. I long back heard a story from a preacher about this unique fish. Now you can get the picture up, please. About this unique fish. I don't remember the name. I think it was koi fish. The uniqueness about this fish is this, that when you put it in a small aquarium, this fish confines its growth to the size of its aquarium, small. But you take that fish and put it in a pond, the fish tends to grow big, adapting to the environment it is in. The uniqueness of this fish, I was told, is that it adapts to the environment. Its growth is dependent on the environment it is in. Isn't it true for us as human beings? The altitude we rise to. The growth that we have so much depends on the kind of people we surround ourselves with. We are people who are impacted by the environment that is around us. And often I find people who surround themselves with negative people. People who will say the weather is not good, people are not good, job is not good, food is not good, you are not good, I am not good, everything around is not good. And what happens? Our attitude remains in that not good attitude. If we want to move beyond and we want to grow, we need the Haggai's and the Zechariah's to surround us. I like that verse which says, they remained with them during the construction. 16 long years, they gave into the fear. 16 long years, the work came standstill. And here are two people, Haggai and Zechariah. They come and begin to speak the promises of God. Begin to speak hope into the lives of people. Begin to give them a, give them a challenge to say, you build, God will provide. And suddenly things change because of that environment. Within three years, the temple construction gets completed. 
beautiful temple that came about. What was the difference? The difference was the environment that was around them. Difference was the environment. My question to ask you is this. What are the kind of people that you are surrounding yourself with? If you are surrounded with people who are not who are who are un, who have ungodly contentment in remaining where they are you will remain where they are but if you are a person with people who move high up the altitude in their attitude in their philosophy of life in the growth in the lord in the way they serve the lord they serve the people you will rise up to that level you will rise up to that level instead what happens we surround ourselves young people i want to ask you a question who are your friends who are the people that you're spending time with they will determine what you become if you are saying i want to quit on them every sunday i come i make a commitment i want to quit on these friends who are badly influencing me but monday when you go back to your college go back to your work go back to your neighborhood you are fearing them so much thinking what will they think about me if i quit on them you're being driven by the fear of people it's high time you took a decision and said lord no matter what they think about me i will change my environment i'll surround myself with people that are positive pray and say god get the right people into my life the third third antidote is stop listening to naysayers you know what are these naysayers people who can say no to anything and everything that you do ezra chapter 5 verse 5 and 6 6 to 9 we read this but the eye of the god was watching over the elders of the jews and they were not stopped and a report could go to the darius and his written reply was received what happened they did not stop the work these accusers tatnai and the others they wrote a letter already to darius but they didn't stop the work they said these people men say no no to building no to do anything for god but we will not stop it we will continue to construct the temple and they continued on and they receive a reply in ezra chapter 6 and verse 8 9 6 to 8 we read this Now then Tatnai governor of uh, Transphrasia and Shetar Bozenia and you other officials of that province this is Darius writing stay away from there and he goes on in verse 7 he says do not interfere with the work of this temple of God let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site and the beauty is verse 8 in verse 8 it says Moreover I hereby decree that what you are to do for these elders of the Jews and in the construction of the house of God their expenses are to be fully paid out of royal treasury hallelujah out of royal treasury from the revenues of transuphrates so that the work of the lord will not stop you know my friends you need to understand this one thing For every one person in your life who encourages you there'll be five or six or seven or 10 people who will discourage you who will tell no to you who will say why you should not do it they are the naysayers in your life you have a dream to become something big they will remind you like dotty reminder dusty saying you are not designed for it you will die you don't have the revenues for it you don't have the money for it you don't have the qualification for it you don't have the people to surround you and help you with it they will tell you that this is doomsday if you take up this task 
They will discourage you. I call them as wet blank personality. You know who are the wet blank? With any enthusiasm you come with saying, I want to do this. They'll take a wet blank and put it over you and say you cannot do it. I call them as people who have a problem for every solution we bring. Every solution you come to, they'll tell you a problem why it cannot work. Stop listening to them. Cut them off from your life. If they're not adding value into your life, cut them off and say, I will move on. There's one prayer that I pray for our children and for us as a family, both me and Rupa. I pray this saying, Lord, silence the negative voices in our minds and in our ears. That we will not listen to these negative voices, but rather, Lord, help us to be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. That we will move in the direction that you have called us to. My friend, there are far too many discouragers around us. If you don't make the choice to not listen to them, to stop listening to them, you are going to become what they are prophesying discouragement over you. You've got to learn to say, Lord, I negate the power of this negative word, and you move on. And final antidote is start with God's comparison and promise. Haggai chapter 2, you know, it's almost like the people compared the old temple and cried, remember? Now God is taunting the people, and he's asking them after 16 years, foundation was laid, work stopped. Now they're restarting the work. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 3 and one, verse 9, we read this. God is asking a question through Haggai. Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look for you? Does it not seem like, to you like nothing? Can you imagine? Haggai is talking to a full crowd of people and he's asking them the question. You can imagine somebody is slowly putting up their hand. I saw the former glory. I know how the Solomon's temple looked. And then God goes on in verse 9. And verse 9, he answers them and says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You know what God is trying to tell the people? He is trying to tell them, listen, you think you saw the glory in the former temple? You think you saw glory in Solomon's temple? The glory that I am going to fill this present church, this new place, is going to be far better than the glory the temple of Solomon had. Now the glory of the temple of Solomon, there was nothing wrong. But what God is saying is, that was the past glory. There's a future glory that you need. And God is saying, I'm taking you from the past glory to a greater glory. So that you don't dwell and get stuck in your past glory. But you move beyond that to a new glory that I am calling you to. I feel in my spirit so strongly as I prepare these messages to preach. God speaking to me and God speaking to Adonai to say, Adonai, you had your glory days of the past, yes. People are there who've seen this church grow from nothing to what it is today. Yes, there are people who will raise their hand. Did you see Adonai in the past, how we ministered and reached to people? Yes, they'll raise their hand. But God wants to remind us. This new place that God is taking us to. It's not just about the building, my friends. Building is the least of the things for God. 
It's the glory in the ministry that the Lord is going to take us into. In the influence that God is taking us into. Discipling the nation is going to become a reality. And God is saying, don't get stuck in that old glory. That was not bad. It was good. But I have something better. The glory of this house shall be greater than the glory of the former. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you believe in that, just say amen in your heart. Or shout it out and say, glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. My friends, I so believe in my heart that God has something new for the church. Like Pastor Victor said, every crisis takes us to a new level. And this crisis of pandemic is allowing us to move to the next level. And I believe not only in our personal lives, but as a church, God is calling us to a newer glory. What a verse. What a verse. God is comparing. My friends, we've got so used to listening to what people say. We tend to forget what God says. You know, some of you must be discussing about my new look. There's more white on my hair. There's a new glasses. And I've lost weight. And I've enjoyed in the last few days, had fun with the comments that people have. One person said, you look like a mallu. And another person said, you look like a scientist. Another person said, you look like more intelligent, as if I was not intelligent before. Some person said, you look older. They said, oh, you're looking so older. Some person said, you look 10 years younger. You know, different comments that came. Just imagine, if I have to sway to those comments with the fear of people, in the morning I'll be covering, coloring my hair black, in the night I'll be coloring my hair gray. In the morning, I may be wearing this spec. In the evening, I may be wearing another spec. In fact, when I've lost weight, I've moved from shirt 42 to 40 now. And I've taken out all my 42 shirts and kept aside. I was telling someone, you know, I've changed my wardrobe. I've kept all my 42 shirts aside. They said, no, 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 no. Don't throw it away. You will put on weight. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. You will put on weight. I said, let us see. I may give it away by faith saying, I will not put on weight. But what I'm trying to communicate is this. Don't just listen to people and move away from your purpose. Learn to listen to God's promises. Surround yourself with the right people. Learn to stop to say, I don't want to listen to those naysayers. And start comparing yourself to what God says. And what does God say about you? He says you are the apple of his eye. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says you are the chosen one. He says you are the priceless one. He's not called you to depression. But if you make the choice, you will remain in depression when you make the choice to listen to people. But if you listen to what the promises of God are, you will be able to move beyond. I will close this story with a story. I heard this story about in the olden times when people used to use donkeys to move around from one place to another. Here was this merchant who was going on his donkey, taking the donkey along. As they were going, suddenly the donkey fell off, the, fell off into a pit. It was not a pit like you see in the picture. It was a pit full of mud. It was a deep pit. The merchant tried to lift up the donkey, tried to do everything. He could not lift it up because the donkey was too heavy. Finally, all the people came around and said, Hey, listen, listen, listen. The best thing to do is don't let this poor animal struggle. You do one thing, you bury it alive, so let it die quickly. 
So they all decided they will put mud. They got the shovels, they dug the mud and started throwing it onto the pit where the donkey was. And the donkey would get the mud on its back. Each time it got on its back, it will shrug it off and the mud will fall down and it will climb one step higher. They will put more, it will shrug it off and it will come to one step higher. It kept on shrugging and shrugging and the mud level went up and up and up to such an extent they were able to rescue the donkey. And they were all surprised how this donkey, even though everybody shouted and said, remain there, don't come up. Why is it that kept shrugging off? They asked the merchant, what is the secret? And the merchant said, actually, my donkey is deaf. He did not hear anything that you said. My friends, let me tell you this. There are times in our lives we need to choose to be deaf to listen to the discouragements that come our way. We need to shrug off that thing that comes on our back. And we need to use that very stumbling block to become our stepping stone. And then we need to move higher and higher and higher towards the purposes that God has for us. I want to challenge you this day. I want to urge you. I want to plead with you. Don't remain in the discouragement. Yes, it is common. But God has made a way. And we need to move beyond that to live out our purposes for God. What voice are you listening to?